today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Back to school for a lot of students today. Others, uh, because of the staggering beginning times, are going to be uh, going over the next two or three days. But there has been an awful lot of discussion, of course, over the last couple of weeks and months about the environment that's going to happen in that school because of COVID-19. But we haven't had a whole lot of discussion about what school they're actually going to attend. Uh, the rules are different in Ontario than they are in many other parts of, I was going to say, uh, Canada, but also in North America. Should parents really have a choice as to where their kids are sent to school? Well, a report suggesting that Ontario has lagged behind other provinces in many U.S. states uh, when it comes to providing school choice for parents and children. Uh, to talk about this, we're pleased to welcome to the program uh, Derek Allison, who is a senior fellow with the Fraser Institute, professor emeritus at uh, Western University, and author of book Bringing School Choice to Ontario. Uh, Derek Allison, welcome to the program. Glad, glad you join us today. Yeah, thank you, Bill. Let's talk a little bit about, about this whole concept. Uh, with, the, with the way things have been for as long as I can remember here in Ontario, uh, has been if you live in one part of town, you have to go to the high school in that part of town, or, and that's all there is to it. There's no discussion, no debate about this. Uh, and we just, I guess many of us, Derek, assume that, well, I guess that's just the way it is everywhere. Apparently it's not, and apparently that's, it's a much different story and a much different outcome for some other jurisdictions. Yeah, that's right. Um, Ontario has lagged behind for quite a long time when it comes to school choice. Your general, uh, your general account picture of, um, what most kids do in Ontario is, is, is generally correct. There are, of course, four publicly funded, um, tracks, if you like. There's the public school, which is by far the dominant public school system and the separate school system, and that's what you were referring to mainly, mm-hmm. I guess. And then there are two smaller francophone systems, again, Catholic and, and non-Catholic. So that may give some people the illusion of choice. But when it comes to the other option, independent schools, of which there are a, quite a lot in Ontario, there were 1,400 prior to the COVID uh, close-down, we don't know how many are going to survive. We'll have to wait and see on that. But when it comes to independent schools, these are schools that receive no funding at all from the government, then uh, you're on your own. So consequently, ordinary folk um, really don't have that choice. And what uh, I'm suggesting in the paper and what is common in five other provinces 30 U.S. states and almost all um, European countries is uh, publicly aided school choice so that ordinary folk can send kids to the school that they think will best suit their interests and talents. How would that funding look, Derek? Well, uh, what happens elsewhere in Canada is that uh, the governments provide support to schools. Uh, part of the uh, percentage of the normal uh, support, financial support that goes to public schools goes to independent schools. Um, what's happening in the states and what will happen in spades if the Republicans get back in is um, funding of various kinds of scholarship programs and tax relief programs, which gives people Give, which provides people with incentive to send their kids and compensation to send their kids to schools other than public schools. Now, you may remember that we had a program like that in Ontario at one time, the Equity in Education Tax Credit, mm-hmm. uh, which provided 
eligible parents um, with a portion of the cost of their tuition fees in independent schools. Now, um, when Dalton McGinty was elected, he retroactively repealed that, slammed the door on school choice, and that really was the last best chance in Ontario for school choice. And that's almost 20 years ago now. Now, the quickest and most straightforward way to move to improve school choice in Ontario would be to bring that back. Obviously, it would have to be upgraded to meet contemporary costs, but it was on the books once. It can be put back on the books again pretty quickly with the current majority progressive conservative government. That's the most straightforward way, and in my view, it's by far the best because you're supporting parents making decisions rather than giving the money to schools. There's a, 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 for lack of a better expression, a per diem for each student. I mean, one of the ways that schools are compensated uh, by the provinces, uh, by the number of of students that attend, uh, would that carry over? I mean, if if you decide to send your child to one of those private schools, uh, does that per diem go over there to help subsidize the cost of that education too? No, no, of course not. Um, many people think that's what should happen. Many people think that the money should follow the child. Yeah. So that if you take your kid out of the public school and put him in an independent school, then the independent school uh, gets the grant money for that child. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a kind of quasi-voucher scheme. It's not a, a full voucher scheme, which would be much more extensive. Um, but that's not what happens, except in some European countries, where that... Uh, and Peru, interestingly enough, where they have uh, a full-fledged um, voucher scheme. The normal practice and the practice that uh, I think we should recover with the equity in education tax credit will be to provide funding for a portion of the cost, and that could vary. In, um, in Alberta, I beg your pardon, in Alberta and B.C., and Quebec and and Manitoba, the the rate of support that goes to independent schools is around half of what the regular grant to public schools is. Uh, with the equity tax credit, like we had in Ontario, and like what I would like to see come back to Ontario, it would be much the same. But half the cost would go in a tax credit to the parents. And, of course, an important point here is that because it will be part of the tax system, um, extremely wealthy parents wouldn't receive any benefit from that because they can afford to send their kids to independent schools already. Mm-hmm. It's the ordinary folk that can't, that can't stretch to that in their regular everyday budgets that would receive their help. But it's sort of recognized that um, it helps, it tends to help the school if the supporters of the school have to contribute out of their own pockets. So the idea of the money following the, the kid is is great in principle, but maybe up to 90% will be the best way to do that. Uh, if we reinstated the tax credit we had before, it would be up to a maximum of 50%. I can see that going higher, but... Um, Maybe not to 100%. Because you've also got to remember that somehow uh, the cost of the, uh, of the bureaucratic overhead 
has to be financed, and that's quite expensive in the public system. Talk to us about the difference between the public and, and the private system, uh, because there's uh, an awful lot of misunderstanding and probably a great deal of, of mythology about, you know, one being better than the other. And, and, and there's a mindset among some elected people, as you know, over the years, to simply say, well, let's just stick to the public system because uh, one size fits all, and that, that's kind of working. And if you're a rich person, sure, you can send your kid to a private school, but, but we don't want to get involved in that. They don't seem to have a, a desire to do that. And uh, so I guess a lot of us just decided, okay, we don't even need to have that conversation, but They've had this in so many other different jurisdictions. Uh, and, and I wanted to get to this point that you mentioned in, in your report here, Derek, about the outcomes and the difference in, in the quality of education and the satisfaction level on those families. Yeah, the satisfaction thing is important. The U.S. research shows quite clearly that there are markedly higher levels of satisfaction um, as, the, as the extent of choice goes up. <laughs> so um, parents and uh, students are more satisfied in charter schools, which are part of the public system in the U.S., but they're even more satisfied in independent schools, which operate, as the word has it, independently. And, and one of the major reasons for that is the, is the um, difference in the way in which parents and kids uh, relate with the school. If you, if you just think about it, if you take... The Ontario public system, in all the large boards, uh, the professional administrators outnumber the trustees. When you come to independent schools, it's the other way around. The trustees, the board of governors, uh, which represents supporters and parents, uh, are typically more numerous than the, than the um, head of school and the bursar and the other. Uh, professional managers who are, of course, directly accountable to the Board of Governors, and the Board of Governors are more directly accountable to the clients, uh, the parents, uh, who can make representation to the Board of Governors and typically have much, uh, much easier access to and much better working relationships with the teachers and the principal. So that's one big difference. And the other point that's, uh, that's worth driving home here is that by introducing competition into the system, uh, research has again shown, and it's overwhelming the findings in the research, that this improves the public schools as well, because they are required to compete more directly with the more innovative and nimble and responsive independent schools. Now, one of the um, one of the objections that's typically raised and has been raised in Ontario a lot and was raised over the equity and education tax credit is that there will be a mass exodus of students from the public system to the independent system if we provide tax support to independent schools in some way. And once again, uh, the research overwhelmingly shows that that's not the case. Uh, if, if parents are satisfied with their public school, they will stay with the public school. Uh, I seem to remember somebody saying something like that before. But if you're satisfied with your school, you can keep your school. If you're not satisfied <laughs> with your school, for whatever reason, I can't see any defensible reason why you shouldn't have the 
um, opportunity to put your kid into a school that you think will be much better suited uh, for him or her, for their needs and talents and aspirations and ambitions. And one other point on this public-private thing. Mm -hmm. The way the debate has typically been structured in Ontario is public versus private. And that's not the way of the future. The way of the future, as it's developing around the globe in free and democratic societies with advanced economies, is a much greater partnership integration between public financing and the choice of publicly operated or independently operated schools. You know, it's generally accepted that, um, in fact, it's universally accepted in free and democratic societies that government has to finance the schools because that's the only reasonable way to provide universal education for all children. But that doesn't mean that government has to run all the schools. And so move, by moving towards a hybrid system, a mixed system, where you have government-financed and government-operated schools and government-financed or supported and independently operated schools, everybody benefits. It's a win-win-win formula. And that's the formula for the 21st for 21st century public education this uh, reminds this me a little bit where you have um, the public schools financed and run and dominated by a set by a large centralized bureaucracy that's the 20th century solution and that's now outmoded this reminds me to a certain extent about the debate that uh, we began some years ago about health care uh, that you know, there was a, a period of time, and it probably in some people's minds still exists, uh, where the government has to do everything. Everything it's going to just be on, over the OHIP system here in Ontario, or else. And I, and I think there's a a, a a growing realization that we can't. Maybe we have to have a hybrid model where there's going to be some private sector involvement in this, as well as public sector, to provide and take some of the burden off, uh, and and at the same time provide stuff that maybe the government public system can't necessarily do. Are, uh, is is Ontario ready to to, to have have that discussion about education now? Well, I think we should be because we're falling further and further behind. You know, the train is leaving the station on this. And as I think I mentioned, if the Republicans are returned uh, to the House and the Senate under a second-term Trump um, presidency in the States, uh, they have already committed to vastly expanded school choice. And so that will mean Ontario is falling even further behind uh, with regard to its economic partners in the world, its major trading partners. It's already behind when it comes to the other large provinces in Canada, and it's going to fall much further behind with regard to the U.S. It's already behind, markedly behind, when it comes to the EU, all the nations in the EU. You know, so the train's leaving the station here. It's about time we got on board. 
I got about a minute and a half left, but I got to address one of the key problems here. When we're talking about money, and it always comes down to this, doesn't it, Derek? Uh, the funding envelope, uh, the existing envelope right now. If the government says, "Okay, we're going to in- investigate uh, this report based on on this the, the report that we've just been talking about," does that does that necessarily entail that that envelope needs to be expanded, or do you just have a smaller piece of the pie for the existing boards and and some of that money siphoned off? Because you're going to get pushback from the existing boards. Of course, they're going to say, "We can't do without less." Yeah, right. Well, if you look at the way in which education funding went after the tax credit was was killed, it just skyrocketed. So the McGuinty government had no trouble finding the money to um, considerably enhance spending on public schools, even though enrollments were declining. Uh, so the money's there for government wishes to raise it. It's not going to cost that much more to start paying for the education of kids that are currently being educated completely out of um, family budgets. Now, that's the problem here, right? We're talking about a, a, a subsidy uh, from private private uh, families and households to the province of substantial, well over a billion dollars, billion and a half dollars, because they're paying entirely for their kids' education. Now, some of that cost, if we was to become a public expense, would increase the education budget by a small amount. But over time, we would save money too, because every kid transferring from a public school to an independent school is going to save the government money. A fascinating study, and uh, I think obviously a conversation that needs to be had in this province. Uh, Derek Allison, thank you so much for the time and the great work that you've done in this report. Uh, the book is called Bringing School Choice to Ontario. You should check that out as well. Thanks again, Derek. Appreciate it. Okay, Bill. Take care. Bye-bye. Derek Allison. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.